Uh, of course, Max gets his vengeance shortly by riding to Bloom's factory uh, and cutting his brakes because <laughs> we get a shot of Bloom going to pick his sons up at school and his brakes won't work. And I'm like, did you just try to murder Mr. Bloom? Cutting someone's brakes out could kill them. If they cannot stop their car, if they cannot stop their vehicle, they could hit something. They have no way to decelerate. The car is not just going to... You're going to kill this man, but Bloom survives. He's fine. He just almost hits a groundskeeper. Sure. <laughs> yes. The, yeah, the very angry groundskeeper. Yeah, like, runs... The car goes all the way... And the groundskeeper goes, like, almost all the way to the school. Acad yes. The academy. So he, like, almost literally runs them over. Which is also interesting that this groundskeeper didn't get out of the way to the left or right of the car. No, the groundskeeper he just kept, kept backing, backing up. up. <laughs> You know, it's, in, in the moment, he was fight or flight, he chose a uh, fight, and I respect that. He really thought he could deck that car. Yeah, I respect. guess so. Hello and welcome to Movie Struck, a podcast about movies and the people who watch them. I'm your host, Sophia Ricciardi, and I am joined today by my dear friend and foodie and supreme, Julia Hess. Julia, welcome to the show. Hi, Sophia. Hey, guys. <laughs> now, Julia, every week on this podcast, we bring on a different guest and ask them to pick one movie, any movie of their choice from all the movies in existence to watch and discuss, which is why I only have one question for you today. Why did we watch Rushmore? Ooh, we watched Rushmore because it is my personal favorite Wes Anderson film. Mm. Um, I feel like it's more indie and less mainstream than everyone else's favorite Wes Anderson film. <laughs> um, you know, it's a little less basic. Um, mm. I love the chaos of this film. I watched it in my high school English class, actually. That was the first time I ever watched it. And I just feel like it speaks to me in a lot of fun ways. And I've been dying to watch it or rewatch it. And so that is how we ended up here. Amazing. Well, I'm always happy to be an excuse to rewatch a movie. Uh, you know, this is a this is a film bro favorite, but uh, not as much of a film bro favorite as some other. <laughs> we all we all know we're looking at you, Fight Club and Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, this is, a, this is a Wes Anderson flick, so of course we open with some bouncy guitar music on some very stylized titles, get a little portrait of a family going, very artsy credit sequence before coming into a classroom full of students learning some math. Gross. Uh, <laughs> there is a, a problem off on the board for extra credit, the most difficult math problem in the world that could not even be solved by an MIT professor, uh, but one boy in the class, Max, does take the opportunity to try and solve it and with very little difficulty after putting down his newspaper and carrying his teacup full of coffee to the top of the classroom, solves it with ease, causing everyone to cheer for him, uh, his teacher proud of him, everyone starts shouting his name and as they're shouting his name, we cross cut with the chapel that he is actually sitting in. Poor, poor Max has just simply been daydreaming about his academic victories this whole time. At the pulpit, the who I thought was the preacher at first, but actually just like a guest speaker. Yes, <laughs> for some reason, I fully <laughs> forgot that Bill Murray is not a priest in this movie because <laughs> right? I, I saw him. Well, I knew I knew in the storyline, I was like, Bill Murray wasn't, but then they, mm -hmm. they cut to him in the chapel and I was like, oh, I forgot he was a priest. Yeah. And then quickly realized he's not a priest. Um, no. But I kind of wish 
he was in this movie. I think it would have given him another like interesting twist to his character. Yeah, he's uh, got. I mean, he's got the whole <laughs> uh, <laughs> unhappily married rich man thing going on. But I think adding the preacher wrinkle could have really zested up his character a little bit. You know, he really needed that extra spice. <laughs> Although Bill Murray does play uh, a pathetic man to a T so so well in this movie, his performance is amazing. And he really, he kicks it off by addressing this group of students gathered here in the church for some reason uh, by telling them to um, take down the rich kids at their, their private school to, <laughs> uh, to pretty much just go and show them that they don't can't buy a spine. And Max is absolutely enamored with his words, the words of this uh, Mr. Bloom, who is not a preacher, notably, and also not a teacher at this school. He's just a, <laughs> just a parent. <laughs> But he yes, gets to address that is everyone. That's the best part. <laughs> yeah. It's like a PTO meeting. Yes. <laughs> but it's, it's all a PTA kids. meeting. Except it's all the students because none of their parents show up. Max runs up after the chapel meeting lets out church, mandatory church attendance, uh, something that they all gathers all of the students at this private school, Rushmore uh, Academy. Um, and, you know compliments Dr. Bloom, or not Dr. Bloom, Mr. Bloom, who is walking with Dr. Guggenheim, a naming convention that I had swapped in my notes for most of the movie before I realized, wait a minute, this is incorrect. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Max is complimenting him. He's like, I agree with your views. He introduces this, this this younger kid, Dirk, who is his partner. He's sort of like, for parts of the movie, acts as his secretary, assistant, and BFF varying titles depending on the situation intern (laughs) unpaid intern (laughs) something like that yes it's very much like that Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you really think about it i was like this poor how old do you think dirk was in this movie like or how old he had to be like well because max is what 15 max is 15 like maybe 12 or 11 he's younger but he's not like fully he's in he's early middle school late elementary he's got to be right yeah, I feel like he must have been maybe middle. Yeah, maybe twelve or. Th- mm-hmm. I just don't think he was definitely. He wasn't close enough to Max's age. Right. Um, and I'm like, I do want to know what the like system was on how you got a chapel partner. That was like yes. what he first introduced Dirk as. <laughs> and I mean, I didn't go to. You didn't go to private school. I forget. I went yeah, to Catholic school didn't. for three years, but oh, okay. it was first through third grade. So. Never really had a chapel partner. Stayed in okay. just long enough to get to be able to eat the bread and then got out. Get that bread. <laughs> get that bread. That's what we're here for. Uh, no, I have no idea what a chapel partner is. Maybe okay. it's like a like a godparent situation where they're supposed to like lead you in the ways of the church. But I don't know if Rushmore is explicitly a Catholic school or just like a private school that happens to have meetings in this chapel. It's very unclear what the like structure of Rushmore is. Yeah, well, and I didn't think Max came off religious. No, not at so, all. So I, I am curious. Like, it's I highly doubt he's a part of Bible study. They would have shown yeah. it. They would have shown clubs. it because, as we'll see shortly, Max is in many clubs. In fact, one could say Max is in every club at Rushmore. <laughs> <laughs> yes, every single yes. one. Every single one. Because as Max and Dirk uh, introduce themselves to Bloom uh, and walk away, Bloom asks, "Like, hey, is that kid one of your like?" brightest students in Guggenheim, the headmaster, I guess, of the school, is like, actually, he's one of the worst students we've got. And we get a little montage after that of all of Max's various activities, including calligraphy club, the fencing club, the bombardment society, which was 
That one took me yes. for a spin because it looks like it's just like, what, a, what is a bombardment society, Julia? Do you have the answer to this question? <laughs> it's dodgeball. Did you see that? It's fully dodgeball, but they called it bombardment club, which is why I made a specific note. I love that he found not only Vax as part of bombardment, the bombardment society, and he's the founder of it, but it's just fully dodgeball. Max would easily be the kind of kid that would get pummeled in dodgeball. So why would he find the club? You know, he he's he's on a lot of sports-related teams, despite not necessarily being shown to be particularly athletic and also being the kid who would get pummeled in a lot of sports. So maybe he's just like, you know, he's willing to take a hit if it means that all of his brethren can be having a good time. Uh, Max founded a lot of the clubs at Rushmore, as we learned in this montage. He's, you know, he's the editor of their their newspaper, the, uh, is it the Yankee, is it called? I missed the name. Yeah, it's the, it's the Yankees, which was also a weird choice. I don't think... Weird newspaper name. Not something I usually associate with, like, breaking news, you know? Usually newspapers are like, The Inquirer, The Times, yeah. The Herald. A Yankee doesn't really, like, tell you anything. No, I wouldn't, I don't think I want to read a newspaper from a Yankee. Like, that just sounds like <laughs> really useless news or an awful mm-hmm. baseball team. Like, <laughs> I mean, Phillies represent, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I we, finally have another Philly area to. friend on the pod. This is important. This is big for me. Yeah. <laughs> we'll win this one. Someday, someday. Yeah, no, the Bombardment Society is the highlight of this montage, but there's a lot of, a lot of big hits in here. Um, I wrote down my personal favorites. I loved mm-hmm, that he was mm-hmm. in model un specifically he was part of russia um (laughs) he's the lax team manager which is interesting because again i don't see anyone ever letting him being a manager of the lacrosse team um -hmm. i also like that okay i love that like so most of these clubs there's a lot of people in Hmm. but i'm not sure if you picked this up but i found it really funny that the beekeeper club He's the president of, and it was just him and one other just person. And, it was just him and Dirk. <laughs> oh, they were the only beekeepers. I didn't even think it was Dirk. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the two of them just with the two all those bees. All um, those bees. Plot relevant bees, as we'll find out later, but bees nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, I mean, clearly it came in handy at some point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I tried to join. We went to the same university, and they had a beekeeping club also, but... It disbanded our freshman year, and I, it got back together sophomore year. And I tried really hard to join the beekeeping club, and they would not respond to my emails. So I'm I'm proud of him for, for uh, managing to keep his his Rushmore beekeeping club going. That's a big uh, my understanding of bee, beekeeping clubs aside. That's a big accomplishment, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do know a mutual friend of ours. I'm not sure if you know this story. They were looking for the roof at BU. I think the at the mm. College of Arts and Science, and they accidentally walked into the beekeeper's room. Like they, or they were um, looking for one club, and they accidentally, <laughs> they accidentally walked into the beekeeper club meeting. But they were too embarrassed. Oh, I know. It was they were looking for their class, like an actual class, their freshman year, mm-hmm. and they accidentally walked into the beekeeper's club meeting, <laughs> and they were too like socially embarrassed to do anything, so they stayed for the meeting and missed their class. Um, oh no. Yeah, it's our very tall friend. Uh, Yes, yes. That makes sense. That makes sense. 
incredible. So you were really trying to join the beekeepers club. Meanwhile, I know some. I should have just talked to our un- unnamed tall friend. Uh- yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, speaking of, you know, not missing classes, perhaps something that might lead to you being put on academic probation, uh, Max is called in to Dr. Guggenheim's office because despite his involvement in all of these various clubs, he, he's doing extremely poorly in all of his classes. Uh, and because of his low academic standing, you know, he's at, at Rushmore on an academic scholarship, he's put on sudden death academic probation, where if he fails another class, he will be expelled. Terrible naming choice for an academic... <laughs> probation a uh, great naming choice for like a a fighting video game like a smash bros type would be terrified if a principal said you're in sudden death mode now to me in real life <laughs> it really puts the pressure on though like mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. i i think that was the the point and like back in the day you know our parents had it a different way and it's like ah yeah sudden death yeah like you, yeah you mess up you fail a test you're done that's it game Sorry, over, you know? yeah <laughs> Like in this discussion when they were talking about sudden death probation, Mm -hmm. I found it really interesting. I don't know if you were going to touch on it next um, about how Max got into his thing. They reveal how Max got into Rushmore Academy. It was, I mean, it was, of course, by as as all of us have got into our academic institutions by writing a one act play about Watergate. Uh, (laughs) And do you remember at what age he wrote this one act play about Watergate, Julia? He wrote it in the second grade, <laughs> which I found so hilarious, so ridiculous. Also, I didn't know about Watergate until high school, I think. Mm-hmm. I was never mm-hmm. educated on this until much no, later in life. No, it's not something so that's it... usually covered in second grade classrooms. It, uh, it doesn't come up too much when you're just sort of mastering, like, long division, you know? Do you even do long division in second grade? It's been so long since no. I've taken a math class. I have no No, long division's <laughs> hard. Long division hard. I don't think you do division to like middle school. They're like still trying to like you're doing your like addition tables still and maybe multiplication. You're not doing you're not doing Watergate. You're not doing long division. No. You're not doing geometry. Like none of that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just on that same wavelength as this kid. You know, Watergate one act plays in second grade. That was that's my jam. But I think it's also an important it's an important character detail about Max because he's gonna we're gonna see he puts on. A lot of plays throughout this uh, this whole movie, and um, you know the the movie is almost structured like a play in a lot of ways, especially in like the third act, which we'll get to a little bit later. So uh, having this detail peppered in there now is 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 good, and also in the montage we did, of course, see that Max is a, a founding member of the drama society at Rushmore as well. Not just any drama society, though. The Max Fisher Players. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> of he all of his, his various class. activities, he, he, he the drama club is really where he shines. As, as many theater kids or ex-theater kids can attest, you know, drama club changes you. <laughs> you informs you, and sometimes mm-hmm. you just need to create your own and name it after yourself. What can you do, you know? Pull a Shakespeare. Get, bring that energy to your real life. Uh, so Max... <laughs> Max goes main on character to energy. another one of his activities. Yeah, your big, big main character energy. Um, big Shakespeare, yeah. big Shakespeare energy. So he goes on to another one of his many activities, the backgammon club, where he's chatting with another student about how next year Latin is getting canceled in favor of Japanese classes at Rushmore Academy. And as he's playing backgammon, he's flipping through this book 
Uh, and in the book, handwritten in pen is a quote, when one man, for whatever reason, has the opportunity to lead an extraordinary life, he has no right to keep it to himself. And then there was a French name at the bottom and I can't read French, so I'm not even gonna try and pronounce the name of whoever said that quote, but it's written in the book. And yeah, that I couldn't perks, read it. I couldn't read it. I had to pause the movie to get the quote down, period. So I was like, eh, it could go by. The important thing really is that the quote is written in the book more so than what the quote actually says because it will never be directly said out loud in the movie. Max is intrigued by who would have written such a thoughtful bit of prose in a library book and so he goes to find out who else has checked out the book and that leads him to an elementary school classroom run by a young teacher, Miss Cross, who is reading to a bunch of children. Not just reading, did you catch the name of the book? I didn't catch the name of the book but I remember thinking this is advanced for for elementary school students. No, the name of the book, I paused the movie to see what book <laughs> she's reading to her elementary aged kids. Mm -hmm, the book mm -hmm. is called Kidnapped. <laughs> oh no. She's reading a book called Kidnapped to like small children. She's taking the JJ Bittenbinder approach. She's teaching them that street smart's young, you know? She is, except I forget who I was telling this too, but I think it's very interesting that we like, we're all taught about kidnapping as young children, yet it never happened. Like, it was never a real fear. Like, we were all like deathly afraid of being kidnapped and we knew what to do if we were kidnapped. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I never got approached as a kid to like be kidnapped or like, oh, come see these like puppies in my back seat of my car. Nope. Because, well, here's my theory is that all the kidnappers got the same lesson as the kids. And they're like, well, if I'm going to kidnap someone, I'm not going to do it the way they expect. I'm going to throw them off the scent, you know? Throw <laughs> pull them out off. A, pull out plan like Z, you know? Really mix up yeah. the, mix it up so that no one's ready. Candy in a van, that's old school, baby. We do it new school here. We all got this stranger danger on the internet talk. That was the one that was drilled into our heads as elementary students. Because we were in the, the, the dawning of yeah. internet chat rooms and things really taking off social media. Everyone was like, this is how we're all going to die. And they weren't entirely mm -hmm. wrong. They were probably more correct oh, yeah. than a lot of the other Stranger Danger dogs we got. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I just thought it yeah. was hilarious that Miss Cross was reading a kidnapped book to kids. <laughs> it was Interesting choice. Yeah, it was very yes. hilarious. She's not like other teachers, you know? <laughs> no. She's quirky. She's quirky. She's, cool. She's a little bit intellectual. She went to Harvard. She has a British accent. Yeah. She ended up there for some reason. <laughs> for some reason. Uh, so Max doesn't approach her just yet. Instead, we cut to him outside, sitting with who we find out is Dirk's mom in her uh, convertible, her Jaguar, get, uh, chatting about how, you know, he's taking care of Dirk for her while he's at school, watching out for him like a good older student would. Uh, and, you know, he says to her if she, if she has any questions or concerns or to talk about Dirk to call him, and he gives her his card, which lists his... Rushmore Academy Extension 23 as his number. <laughs> and he seems to be, you know, working his Where do you magic think that on goes, Dirk's though? mom. <laughs> what phone, but like, what phone do you think that goes to? Extension 23, is that like his homeroom classroom? What is that number? <laughs> like, it's like I'm one genuinely landline curious. Yeah, and then he's extension number 23. Uh-huh. Or does uh -huh. like every kid get an extension number? I just like... I don't think every kid would get an extension number. Max is just, you know, he's just, uh, he runs the school on the down low. You know, he's really, he's got everyone playing. They're all he's playing special. parts in his his little world. You know, they're all players on his stage. So why wouldn't? <laughs> Poetic, <laughs> you're right. 
poetic cinema, Julia. <laughs> You're the, so right. The screen is it's the screen is just the stage. It's all it's all art, man. <laughs> it's a Wes Anderson film. One act play. <laughs> oh. oh man, can you tell we went to film school? <laughs> yeah. Man, is this what kids do about all Wes Anderson films? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Max, uh, in the in the after school pickup line, of course, after he gets done talking to Dirk's mom, Max goes and talks to Mr. Bloom, who asks him, you know, like, what's your secret, kid? You know, what it, what have you got going on? You've got it all figured out. And Max is like, you got to find something you love to do and do it for the rest of your life. Max, he loves going to Rushmore. <laughs> so that's what he loves to do. He loves Rushmore so much. Just so damn much, man. That's the title of the movie. It's what Max loves. Mm -hmm. Rushmore. We cut to Max getting his hair cut, and he asks his barber to to sign his geometry test, revealing that his barber is, in fact, his dad. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, did you notice the barbershop prices, too? I did. What were the prices? I think what it looks like, because there's no, like, dot, it looks like... $500 $500 to get a shampoo there. <laughs> the, senior, the senior citizen discount, like, the only ones I could read was, like, um, the shampoo cost $500, like, for shampooing, I guess. And then the senior mm-hmm. citizen, 60 and over, you get charged $700, I assume, for hopefully <laughs> all the works for $700. Yeah, um, it I'm better assuming be, not like, seven. full service. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Those are, like, women's salon prices right there. <laughs> I know, like, women's salon prices in, like, Beverly Hills. Like, I don't know where Rushmore is, but clearly Max's dad is making a pretty penny. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they have their little bonding moment in the walk home. The next day, Max approaches the kindergarten teacher, elementary school teacher. I don't know what grade she teaches, but her name is Miss Cross. While they're both watching sports happening on the field, sitting on the bleachers. She's smoking a cigarette and he offers her a light, which is uh, the first indication that Max is going to be act very uh, much like an old soul. You know, he's got that big older than he actually is energy, despite very clearly being a 15 year old. The two sort of chat a bit about how, you know, she started smoking when she was his age, when she went to Harvard. She asks him what he wants to study, and he says mathematics and pre-med, which is very funny based on his grades, you know. <laughs> it's 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 cute that he, like, aspires to this higher, uh, this higher academic delight when well, he's, I, he's struggling to pass all of his classes. Yes, exactly. And I love when she reveals that he went to, she went to Harvard, and he goes, uh, my safety is Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> and it reminds me of, like, what you and I say too. We went to Boston mm-hmm. University and you know, safety <laughs> oh, Harvard no. was my safety too. Totally, totally. You know, I could have been at MIT if I wanted to, but I thought, nah, go for the go for the <laughs> go for the pseudo Ivies. <laughs> I God. yeah, I just think, you know, I really wanted ice hockey and I felt like mm-hmm. you had that and it's just like, you know, Harvard's fine, I guess, but it's just like a safety. Yeah. It's like you're not really in Boston when you're there. You know, you're in Cambridge. <laughs> exactly. It's kind of like Cambridge Community College. It's just, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. BU is just stronger. So Yeah, really, really reveling in our college days on this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I it's, hope it doesn't come off know, like that. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's fine. Uh, so she, she speaks Latin to him. She says, is nothing sacred in Latin? Because I... Uh, Sophia do not actually speak Latin, so I will not attempt to do so on this podcast. And he responds back, you know, glory fades. And they sort of make their introductions, and she mentions that, you know, she's sad to see the Latin classes go since they're the, the 
the, they're the root of all the romance languages and they're not it's not as impractical as it may seem and so despite the fact that max is the one who petitioned to get rid of latin classes in previous years he then gets a petition going to revive the latin classes and actually gets them made mandatory for everyone's in grades 7 to 12 uh causing the <laughs> magnus the bully the bu- the scottish bully character you know that stock bully character that's in every teen <laughs> To every teen movie. Th- this one's Scottish. Uh, it's different. He, he, yeah, it's a little quirky, a little different. It's a Wes Anderson yeah. movie. It's got some flavor. <laughs> uh, to to berate him for thanks a lot, Max, for, for getting this extra classes tacked on for all of them. At a wrestling match later on, Bloom is sitting with Max watching his sons wrestle. While chatting, Max lies and says that his dad is a neurosurgeon. So we kind of learn that you know he's a little bit, a little bit self-conscious about where he comes from. He's not a he's not a rich kid. He's a he's a scholarship kid, but he he knows how to smooth talk his way into victory. Bloom invites Max to come to the the twins' birthday party, but Max is like, "It's okay. I already got a prior obligation." And then Bloom asks Max to come work for him, uh, but Max of course turns him down. Uh, very bold to be asking a 15-year-old to come work for you since most labor laws in the U.S. require someone to be 16 (laughs) to be (laughs) an employee. Well, especially since, like, Mr. Bloom works at, like, a factory or something. Yeah, like a steel factory. Yeah, I was trying to, like, yeah, I don't know exactly what it is, but it's definitely not where I'd stick a 15-year-old kid. No, not in a not in 1998 when this film was made for sure. Maybe like you know during the Industrial Revolution when there were still no child labor laws. Yeah, but like 1999, like heck no, mm. that's like super dangerous. Yeah, no, no, no. So but Max turns him down, so that's not really a threat. But Bloom and Max, they're they're friends, you know. They're they've become bros through several conversations. Later on at the at the twins birthday party, one of the sons gets gifted a crossbow. Uh, <laughs> don't dwell on that for too long cuz the main thrust of this party is Bloom uh, watching his wife flirt with another man while throwing golf balls into his pool. Why is he throwing golf balls into his pool? <laughs> I don't love worry that. about it. <laughs> He's <just> miserable. <laughs> just This is maybe my favorite up. like Bill Murray pa- plays like miserable and pathetic so well in this movie it's in like i was just like wow i've never been so entertained by a man just absolutely dwelling in his misery as much as i am right now he's so sad i like i don't know like had he ever been divorced in real life bill murray like this pit of sadness like feels very real (laughs) for him like oh man (laughs) like it comes from i just really feel it with him he tells it i yeah. yeah. Well, and he's just like, yeah, I know. I'm like, man, those like those golf balls. You're gonna have to like jump into that nasty looking pool at some point and retrieve them, mm-hmm. man. Like, mm-hmm. well, this isn't gonna be fun does, for you later. Uh, jump into the pool. He climbs up onto his yeah. diving board, cigarette still in his mouth, and does a, does a cannonball right into the pool and proceeds to just kind of like hang out in there for a while, pondering life. Uh, meanwhile, over in Mrs. Cross's room, Max shows up to tell her all about the revival of the Latin program. Uh, and ask her if she needs an assistant. They sort of chat about their lives more. She reveals that she was married, but her husband died a year year ago. Uh, he used to attend Rushmore, and that's why she teaches there now. And Max reveals that his mom died when he was seven, so they've got this shared kindred spirit thing going on. They also have this conversation while feeding the fish, and in a very, like, Wes Anderson shot, there's, you know, 
the panning over to the left and moving as the camera moves past all these various fish tanks. And it's just a very, very uh, pretty shot. There's a lot of cutting around to different locations without too much indication of time passing in this movie. So jumping to another one of those, we're over to uh, Bloom in his office on the phone where Max has come to see him. Uh, and pitches him the creation of an aquarium at Rushmore. So he's escalating the tasks that he's doing for Miss uh, Cross, you know, to, to gain her favor, to, to feed his little crush he's got going. And we're in part two, baby. So Max begins work of construction on his aquarium and as continues to assist Miss Cross at the library. She she sort of becomes a little uncomfortable with how... how uh, at the ready he is you know he fills up her glass of lemonade and like gives her a pen when her pen runs out of ink immediately while sitting across from her and they have a conversation about how uh max is like she's like max have you considered that you're far too young for me a very valid (laughs) point since she is a grown woman and he is 15 15. and also a student (laughs) yes i think this like fully i forget like rewatching and i was like oh yeah this is like very weird like I knew it was weird at the time when I first watched it but I'm like oh yeah like I forgot he was 15 like Mm -hmm. I knew she was a teacher like yeah yeah and like to her credit she is very adamant that he understand that their relationship can only be friendship uh yes but he does not get the message he's you know he's like oh well you know talking and sort of talking around the point talking a little innuendo like no yeah totally our relationship relationship in big old air quotes it's just friendship totally so that's gonna probably be a problem later we then go to the first of max's many performances at a play with extremely high production value for a high school play (laughs) yeah i don't understand how where's their budget and it seems like they get multiple school plays a year we got one school play a year or no yeah. sorry, we got two i guess one in the fall and we one did in the, the play and then the spring musicale yes. as they say in high school musical uh music <laughs> the music yes music how so we only got two so i was like whoa rushmore like he's got like multiple plays and it's only october i think yeah it's september or october yeah. like they've got I don't know how he gets this anyways yeah high production I mean, value Max, he's, he's a doer you know he gets stuff done private school man yeah. Uh, all of the all of the key players are in the audience. All of the adults we've met thus far are watching this uh, high school play. They have moving backdrops and everything. Backstage, the lead actor and Max get into a little fight uh, where Max gets punched in the nose before having to take, go out on stage. And Max, of course, has to bow with his bloody nose. Um, this is the beginning of the problems that will spiral after this particular performance. At the after show, Miss Cross introduces Max to her friend Peter, who wears uh, scrubs from the operating room. He will always wear scrubs in this movie. It's very funny that they did not let him change costumes. (laughs) Max is immediately defensive, very, very rude to Peter uh, and Mr. Bloom. Max, Miss Cross, and of course, third wheel Peter go out to dinner where Max continues to needle him. Uh, Mr. Bloom gives Max whiskey. At this dinner? Yeah. Yeah, I can't believe he let him... Like, because it was 1999. The drinking age was still 21. It wasn't 18 in 1999. And even if it was 18, Max is still 15. So he's still below the limit. They're at a restaurant, too. So it's not even, Mm -hmm. like, inside a house. I cannot believe they let him drink. Also, his teacher's there. So there's, like, 
so many things wrong with the so fact that things. he's allowed to drink at a he's table with, three with adults, a teacher. One of whom yeah. is a doctor, so he should know better. Yeah. This is like so a much. scandal waiting to happen. And clearly. scandal happens indeed, because Max, yes. drunk, uh, gets into various arguments with Peter, and then later on Mrs. Cross, because his feelings were hurt, and he, he yells that he's in love with her, and we hard cut away from that, because we are not going to deal with that resolution for a very long time. The next day, uh, Mr. Bloom is spying on Mrs. Cross's class, uh, sent as a messenger for Max, but when he's caught, you know, he tells her Max wants to talk to her to apologize, and she's like, yeah, I probably shouldn't see Max anymore, which is, I think, a pretty good decision on her part. You know, if I were it's a mature. teacher. It's mature. Yeah. I am the adult in this situation. There was a student who was clearly got a little crush, and I'd be like, mm, I don't want to encourage this. And she doesn't. But we get a little hint of, uh, you know, Mr. Bloom and Miss uh, Miss Cross having a little, little eye contact, a little fun and funkiness. That could... They get each other's names, Rosemary and Herman. Who knows? Max might have a little competition. First name basis. <laughs> They're on first name basis now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's their discussion. I felt like it was like very like parenting. Like they were like, she's like, I don't think I should be friends with like Max anymore. And they were just kind of like talking about it. And I felt like they were like very much like in this together, like co-parenting mm-hmm. Max. I was like, Mm, interesting. Mm, interesting. Spicy. Mm. Uh, Mr. Bloom does manage to deliver a letter to Miss Cross uh, from Max, where Max apologizes and invites her to the unveiling of a new undertaking of his, the groundbreaking for the aquarium he previously was working on building for her. At the fundraiser groundbreaking for that said aquarium, on the baseball diamond, which is being moved a few feet over, Max helpfully informs the baseball coach, because I guess Max has the authority to do that. Miss um, Cross hasn't shown... And Mr. Bloom hasn't either. Uh, but before Max can sort of deal with that situation, Dr. Guggenheim rushes onto the scene and takes Max in his office to reprimand him for being about to break ground on an aquarium on school grounds, which, you know, perhaps maybe thing a to be thing mad about. That you should clear with the, the faculty before you do, but eh, whatever. I'm not building any aquariums, so I guess I don't really know. <laughs> I mean, like, like, what do you need? A permit? You can forge yeah, I mean, a permit. It's he fine. was digging up the guys. baseball diamond on the school grounds. So I guess the land was already being used. <laughs> it's just the fact that, like, I mean, Max was, like, not getting rid of the baseball field. I just think that, like, you know, Max was like, yeah, we're, like, going to cut into the space. But don't worry. Like, we're just going to move the baseball field over <laughs> a little bit. So he's not, mm-hmm. he's not subtracting. From anything. True. He's True. just scooching it. Yeah, it's just pushing it over to the side a little. But Guggenheim so, like, did he really like need that. Guggenheim? Yeah, but I did like he really need Guggenheim's permission. Like Max was gonna pay for it. True. Max was gonna pay for it. So it doesn't. True. Well, Max like, had secured funding from Mr. Bloom. Yeah. He'd gotten. He's locked and loaded. Uh, but the project could not get started because, of course, Max gets reprimanded and expelled from Rushmore for his aquarium antics and we go to a very very regular school (laughs) where max is the new (laughs) student he addresses his new class and he says how he's a future student a former student of rushmore and he's not an elitist despite going to private school and that he's going to try and start a fencing team here at his new uh public school (laughs) which is a former fencing team member 
my public school did not have one, so <laughs> props to Max so, for uh, starting. See, you should have tried this. I know. I should have. I should have. I know. I, I did fence in high school, just not for my uh, not for my high school for a, a local club. Maybe I should have tried to cross those beams to borrow from another uh, Bill Murray movie. <laughs> you should cross have. the streams. Uh, yeah. Did you notice in the front row of the classroom anyone in particular? Oh, was there no. was there a cameo from a, a now famous actor up in there? Yes, in the Ooh. front row on the right hand side. She's like in the corner, the very last girl. It is Alexis Bledel or whatever her name is from Roy Gilmore. Oh my gosh, she re- she reacts, and I was like, oh my goodness. I paused it, and I was like, that is definitely <laughs> Alexis, aka Roy Gilmore. Um, little oh, baby incredible. her from 1999. Um, so I guess she did some background acting in her day. Yeah, um, I always loved. But it was like when, a really uh, exciting thing. Yeah, I always love when like now famous for a particular role actors show up and like as background in mo- movies before their like iconic role happened. It's always like a neat little Easter egg kind of thing. Like, oh my gosh, you got so big so shortly after this. <laughs> yeah, it was so exciting because I don't think I noticed any other background that was. Mm-hmm. that became famous so i think it was just genuinely her being background it wasn't yeah any kind of cameo like an intentional or cameo yeah i was just shocked I was like, oh my gosh it's her incredible uh, so i just had to say that yeah so <laughs> next time you guys watch this movie look for her she's there where's what Waldo? did you think where's of his the... speech i mean if as a former public school kid if someone walked up and was like, yeah, I'm not elitist. I'm just from private school. I also would have been like, okay, when's the bell ringing? Let's get out of here. Which is more or less how everyone in his class reacts to him as well. (laughs) You know, this is the one moment in the movie where like Max exists in the real world because up until now he's really existed in like the world of the movie Rushmore. And as soon as he gives this speech, it's like suddenly he is abiding by the laws of how people in the real world act and not Wes Anderson characters. And I think that's a very funny contrast and also definitely very intentional because you know we get shots of of course his public school class and they are all fully not paying attention no, no one is engaged and the minute that bell rings every single person runs out of that room except for uh, one girl who catches up with him in the hallway later margaret yang she starts trying and chat with him about his speech but he sort of like brushes her off he's very rude to her and we get a shot of him fencing alone by in the gym and then the basketball team like <laughs> bowls him over oh so I thought that scene was so good. It's like one very quick shot, but it's so funny. He's like on guard, like fighting himself. He's on guard by himself and it's taken out by a bunch of public school basketballers. Uh, still in his fencing also, uniform. What yeah. What drill were they doing? The basketball team. Did you see what they were doing? They were just like, it was this is the most chaotic looking thing. They were like playing on the sideline, clearly, too, because Max was yeah. like not even really playing on the basketball court. They just like intentionally like ran this guy over, throwing like a bajillion basketballs. <laughs> Like my experience him. is that fencers and basketballers actually have quite a rivalry because uh, we used to have the same r- practice space. Was a basketball, so I was on a, a college fencing team. Uh, we were club fencing, so you know we didn't have any funding or anything, and we shared our practice space with the basketball courts. And so we used to have to try and like kick the people off who were on the basketball courts when we had practice. And so I've actually I've had many many a contentious interaction with the basketball player while also in a fencing uniform. So maybe this is like a running. Maybe I wasn't oh. aware that we were natural enemies. You know. <laughs> Wait, th- this is like a very intentional. Like they 
physically definitely chose yes, basketball I'm, for this I certain mean, rivalry. Based on be my prevalent. experience, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I know. I guess it's prevalent, this rivalry between fencers and basketball mm-hmm, players. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. Fight on I site, know, you know? so deeply rooted. <laughs> yeah. It's because all of all of the fencing sport is very horizontal and basketball is very vertical. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's like oil and water, you know? We just don't mix. <laughs> exactly like that. But you guys mm-hmm. share the same term. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I see. Wow. The more you know. The more you know. I don't know that. <laughs> I learn something new every day. That's what we're here we'll for, our movie struck. We're, we're here to educate the masses about things that are vaguely related to the movie Rushmore. Speaking of the movie Rushmore, <laughs> Max, still in his fencing uniform, uh, calls Mr. Bloom from a payphone in his high school, and he doesn't say much that Max wants to hear. Uh, you know, Mr. Bloom is currently spying on Miss Cross in her classroom. He's ducking behind some fish tanks. And Max gets uh, called out by a hall monitor who hangs up the phone. Max is later, you know, biking away from his public school back to Rushmore, where one of the uh, Mr. Bloom's twin sons from earlier, not, no, actually, that's a lie, not one of the twin sons, where the Scottish bully uh, from earlier, Magnus, is waiting for him up in a tree. (laughs) And he sort of, like, heckles him from the tree. uh, Yes. So odd. Not being able to get with Dirk's mom specifically, which Max is like, Ah, uh, Dirk's mom gave me a hand job in the back of her Jaguar, which I thought at first was going to be like a throwaway line, but actually it becomes plot relevant later on, which I was like, why? Yeah, okay. which was shocking. <laughs> I didn't what think a plot that twist. would be, yeah, that was a very weird, yeah. It's one Wes of those Anderson's like Wes Anderson movie lines where you're like, there's no way this could possibly be important, but it is because it's often very difficult to tell what dialogue is going to be important in a Wes Anderson movie and what isn't. And it's always more it than all you think. something. It all yeah. means something. It all means something. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> I do like the as I do like that you know this bully basically just is always sort of lurking around to heckle Max. Like he doesn't really seem to do anything else. He just sort of waits around campus to like be mean to Max. <laughs> we that's don't see a bully anywhere else. That's a school. That's a school club of choice. <laughs> like he the, just... the heckle Max club, the bully club. Yes, yeah, the bully club. <laughs> Start, founded by Magnus. Founded by Magnus. Scottish Magnus. Yeah. Scott, like, I, yeah. And then Max isn't at school anymore. Is he, like, do you think he was just waiting in the tree for Mac, Max to come back? Like, he has to have Max been, right? Rushmore. He must have just been sitting there all day, like, well, maybe Max will come back and I can yeah, bother he, him. He has a, a broken arm, too, so it must have been very difficult for him to get into that tree. Maybe he just, like, got up there. He's like, I'm committing to this being where I wait now because it took me so long to get up in this tree. I don't know if I can safely get down without breaking more of my arm. Like, that's a... He put himself right. in a very precarious situation in order to do his own heckling. That's commitment to bullying. I We don't condone bullying. Varsity. But Varsity you have to bullying. admire the commitment. <laughs> Varsity bullying. <laughs> I think he's on the varsity bullying team. Like, oh no. <laughs> no, you can't, You're right. you can't letter in bullying. <laughs> he's got a, letter, a letterman jacket. No, <laughs> do you know how many first ladies told us that bullying was bad? Come on, Julia. <laughs> I'm not encouraging bullying. I'm just saying that, like, Magnus is definitely, like, his character is he is the antagonist to Max. And he's That's like, true there to like he's like a cherry picker and he's just literally like up in this tree waiting <laughs> for max so he can bully him yeah like that shows yeah. so much commitment max got expelled and he's still waiting to bully max 
That's true. You know, you got to admire the commitment to the bit. Yeah. Like, um, I don't know if Magnus even goes to class. Like, is he in sudden death never probation? See, I you know, know, show don't tell. We never see Magnus in class, so we have to assume that he doesn't go. That's the yeah. laws of storytelling. <laughs> Screenwriting 101. Yeah, he's, he's still up in that tree. They're like, ah, oh, Magnus mm-hmm. isn't in class, whatever. Arm, yeah. I don't know. But it's like yeah. all other high schools, I'm sure he gets a pass because he's part of varsity bullying. It's the laws of every movie high school, you know, bullies roam the halls freely at all hours because that's just what they do. That's their yeah. academic prerogative. Um, so Max goes to apologize to Miss Cross in her classroom and he, he asks about um, returning the library book. And she reveals, like, oh, that was a gift for my husband. I I donated it back to his alma mater after he passed away. And they share a little moment, and Max is like, can we be friends again? Uh, And she's like, you know, we can be friends again if you can, you know, make a go of it at Grover Cleveland, your new public school. And she's like, I'll I'll help tutor you. And we get a little montage of Max sort of getting his groove back. You know, he gets into the swing of things at Grover Cleveland. He gets some tutoring from Miss Cross. And Miss Cross and Mr. Bloom start to get a little bit closer. You know, they share a few more little funky glances. Um, Yeah. They go to the basketball game and mm -hmm. see Max cheer. Yes, Max is like the he. I I'm not sure if he was the mascot or just the peppiest member of the cheer squad because he wasn't in like a full mascot costume, but he was in like a gray onesie. So it 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 could that's go either way. That's what male cheerleaders wear. Sure, they don't wear the skirt. Yeah, I think that's it. I think that's his. Yeah, part it's of just a different color than the cheerleaders' squad. uniforms were, so I wasn't sure if they were doing, oh. like, a contrast thing, or if he was supposed to be different, or if he was just the main character in a movie and the costume department wanted him to stand out. It might be answer number three. <laughs> I, yeah, it might be that. Or, like, well, what do you think Grover... Cle- do we know what Grover Cleveland's mascot is? We don't know. I didn't see it anywhere. The, everyone it at either. Grover Cleveland seems to wear shades of gray, so I assume that's their school colors. So it might just be that it's just different shades. <laughs> Most of the characters in this movie wear varying shades of gray until the third act when they all start to get their own, like, final arcs and personality developments, and now we're wearing green velvet suits. So until then, it's a lot of, it's a lot of neutrals, a lot of earth yeah. tones. Classic Wes Anderson. Yeah. Max gets Margaret to audition for his next production, and he, you know, he's, he's starting on his next theatrical endeavor. Uh, we get the sense that this is, like, Max's one true passion is the theater and this, his writing career. Uh, overall his other clubs although clearly he cares about all of those things that he is involved in meanwhile mr bloom goes to visit miss cross at her place where she's eating carrots as she helpfully informs us and also carries the carrots with her to the front door when she answers it and they they go on a little they go on a little walk they have a little a little walk date but dun 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 dirk spots them as they're on their walk and you'll remember that mr bloom is a married man and dirk is not happy about this he like glares yes. them down. Little Chapel Boy is not happy. Little Chapel Boy, little Dirk, <laughs> little Dirk, little mm-hmm. Dirk, the little minion. He's still a loyal. I do have to give Dirk a lot of credit. He is yes. still a very loyal Chapel Dirk partner. Dirk is a rider die. He's a rider die. Yeah, he's like I'm looking out for my buddy. Yeah. Like Max is my homie, and like mm-hmm. you know, I saw this stuff, and I'm gonna <laughs> rot you out. Yeah. Yeah, he, he confronts Mr. Bloom in the pickup line the next day. He's like, if you don't stop seeing Miss Cross, I'm going to tell Max about you you going behind his back and getting into a relationship with his lady, uh, which Mr. Bloom seems genuinely threatened by, despite Dirk being, again, a <laughs> child. 
uh, <laughs> a full-on child and max a like full-on child could not be dating um yes. rosemary anyways yes so absolutely uh and then as he's leaving the situation dirk is stopped by again um magnus our, our tree bully who tells dirk what max said about his mom giving him a hand job in the back of his jaguar remember that line being flagged as important this is when it becomes important because dirk Dirk is feeling betrayed, and he he channels Dirk that anger pissed. into he's Dirk is on Dirk is on the hunt for vengeance, and he gets his vengeance by writing to Max about the relationship between Mister Bloom and Miss Cross in revenge for, of course, Max saying what he did about his mom. Bloom is leaving Miss Cross's house, but Max is there waiting, having gotten the car from the the letter from Dirk, and uh, confronts Bloom before storming off, betrayed by his close friend, question mark? Because again, Mr. Bloom is an adult man who is married with children at this point, and Max with is With children 15. Max's age. Children Max's it's, age. Yeah. It's all around the, weird. Whoa. And Max is a, a real with Herman uh, kids. Yeah. No, he's not. He wasn't invited to their party by them. He was invited yeah. by their father, who is his friend. Um, it's a real, like, Doc Brown, Marty McFly situation where you're like, how did this teenager yes. become friends with this aging physicist? You know, it's like, like, I know we saw how Max and Mr. Bloom met, but, like, how did that, did they really bond that much after he gave his yeah. chapel speech? Well, and then, like, Max's dad, like, meets Mr. Bloom and stuff, and I'm like, yeah, does Max's dad not think this is weird? Does no mm. one think this is weird? Mm. Anyways. Max is just too much of a fast-talking old soul for them, you know? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's it. Maybe the dad's just like, oh, it's fine. Like, Max is, you know, a little bit of an oddball old soul. He doesn't have friends his own age. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't seem to handle rejection very well either, because immediately after confronting uh, our dear Mr. Bloom, he busts into Miss Cross's elementary school classroom, thanks her for wrecking his life, and then immediately leaves. That is the exact tone and pacing of that shot. <laughs> yes. Uh, aggressively quick. Incre- aggressively quick. <laughs> Max then gets to burning a pile of leaves on Rushmore's campus, flipping off Guggenheim, who looks at him from his office window. <laughs> that might have been my favorite <laughs> shot of the movie, is Max in front of this, like, p- pile of burning giant. leaves just giving the finger. Yes, it's a giant <laughs> pile of burning leaves, too. Like, oh my goodness. The fact that it's only leaves and it doesn't catch on, like... A tree doesn't catch on fire or anything else. Yeah. It's pretty oppressive. It's crazy. I don't know why he's burning the leaves. I guess he's just trying to, like, feel something, you know, to get over the the, the heartbreak. Um, yeah, but uh, again, I'm surprised Guggenheim didn't, like, call the fire department or security no. to get him off. Like, nothing. He was like, yeah. Just lets him do his you thing. You know. Just like, yeah, Max. Let an a- teen. Yeah, it's just Max. Max who, who at this point in the movie, fine. does not go to Rushmore anymore and is on Rushmore's campus, <laughs> burning the leaves. He's technically trespassing. <laughs> and he's causing... He's, yes! he's trespassing and lighting a fire and flipping off the headmaster, whatever Guggenheim is. <laughs> and he is still not, like, forcefully yes. removed from campus at this point. <laughs> he's literally committing arson on a school he's committing campus. committing arson. Not, like, anywhere. <laughs> not, also, yeah. Also, the fact that, like, it's a Cool. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, that's yeah. a true present danger to other children to have a yeah. fire. Active problems. Like, whatever. But yeah, like, they, yeah, he does nothing Max about it. Max will only do that. 
Yeah. Nothing. Max uh, Max calls Miss Bloom about her husband, and the two meet up, and Max delivers the, the news that she's being, being cheated on in dramatic fashion after offering her a tuna fish sandwich, but some sirens go off so we don't hear his exact delivery. And in the next scene, Mr. Bloom is, of course, moving into a hotel indefinitely because he is being sued for divorce. And as he's in his room chilling, uh, a bunch of bees begin to swarm into the room. We get a little extreme close-up of this funnel through which all the bees are going as Max makes his exit with a big crate labeled <laughs> Rushmore Beekeepers, <laughs> having used his beekeeping club expertise to, I guess, fill Mr. Bloom's room with bees in revenge. <laughs> Also, wait, he still got to keep the bees. This is also he an interesting thing bees. that he... He has no did he go back to Rushmore? his access to Rushmore. Yeah. Yeah, he, he went seems back to, to have Rushmore, full took the bees. Privileges, yeah. Yeah, they gave him full access to this campus still. Mm-hmm. Even though he's not a student anymore. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. interesting to he me. He just gets those bees. Maybe he just kept the bees with him. I don't imagine that he would have, but you never know. He's it, just odd know. enough I wouldn't be surprised if he just had them. Yeah, you know, maybe he's just really passionate about beekeeping. Clearly he likes it enough to maintain the beekeeping club uh, when it's just him and Dirk. I guess it's just Dirk now, since he's technically not a Rushmore student at this point. (laughs) Poor Dirk. Poor Dirk. Uh, (laughs) Dirk really gets done the dirtiest in this movie. (laughs) He really does. Dirk is 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 minding his business. Justice for Dirk, 2K2021. I forgot what year it was. Oh, man. Mr. Bloom, of course, gets his revenge by going and running over Max's bike while he's at school and then rechaining it to the bike stand. War has been declared between... A little tie. Uh, War being declared between these two friends. Max, of course, uh, (laughs) he, like, takes his bolt cutters and he clips the chain. And that enough would have been enough to get your bike stolen most of the time. But then he takes the bike and runs over it so it's, like, fully damaged. Fully damaged, like cannot spin spin this wheel. And then I love that he still commits, though. Like you know, he could just like dump the bike chain or whatever. He's like, oh, but don't worry, I'll still return the bike to the bike little like bike chain or whatever bike lock. And since he can't lock this anymore, he just nicely ties it and knots it to the bike whatever bike stand. Yeah, incredible. Uh, of course, Max gets his vengeance shortly by riding to Bloom's factory. Uh, and cutting his brakes <laughs> because we get a shot of Bloom going to pick his sons up at school and his brakes won't work. I'm like, did you just try to murder Mr. Bloom? Cutting someone's brakes out could kill them. If they cannot stop their car, if they cannot stop their vehicle, they could hit something. They have no way to decelerate. The car is not just going to... You're going to kill this man, but Bloom survives. He's fine. He just almost hits a groundskeeper. Sure. Yes. Yeah, the very angry groundskeeper. Yeah, like, runs, the car goes all the way, and the groundskeeper goes, like, almost all the way to the school, the academy. So he, like, almost literally runs them over, which is also interesting that this groundskeeper didn't get out of the way to the left or right of the car. No, the groundskeeper just kept kept backing up. up. (laughs) You know, in in the moment, he was fight or flight, he chose a fight, and I respect that. He really thought he could deck that car. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Interesting. Yeah, Mr. Bloom calls the cops and Max gets arrested for his trouble, but he's bailed out by his dad shortly. And when his dad's like, Max, where are you going? Max is like, I'm going to Rushmore to get a teacher fired. But as he approaches the school after his stint in prison, he gets approached by Dirk and a bunch of the other boys. Dirk, notably dressed as a wizard, all the other boys in strange robes of some kind. Uh, I wasn't quite sure what the aesthetic was. I feel like they're playing Dungeons and Dragons or something. Like, 
I feel like they've got to like be playing a like LARP. Maybe it's like a like a LARP sort. situation. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Magic Man Dirk. Uh, as as like you know, Max is ready to to chat with his old buddy Dirk, and the boys instead start throwing rocks at him. Uh, and Dirk confronts Max about telling Magnus that his mom gave him a hand jab in the back of her Jaguar. Remember, that is a rude thing to say to your partner, but they don't really make up at this point. They sort of just angrily stomp away, and Max goes to meet with Guggenheim, uh, but finds out that Miss Cross has already resigned before uh, Max could, you know, get her fired with the photos of her having an affair with Mr. Bloom. Uh, and Max instead argues with Guggenheim about how he's trying to win her back. And it look they don't show the action directly. They kind of cut to their silhouettes fighting. And it looks like Max just murdered Guggenheim, but Guggenheim is not killed in this scene. He is alive and well. It's just a very dramatic, like, murder mystery style silhouette of two men fighting. It's I genuinely thought Guggenheim Guggenheim died at this point, but no, he's he's totally fine. He's 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 okay. But their rivalry is strong enough that it is so believable. You're like, oh my gosh, yeah. Max just Killed Max is off. unhinged enough at this point where you're like, I think yeah. he could kill someone. He did just cut a man's brakes. He's willing to go the distance. Yeah, he was potentially going to kill Bloom at this point, yes. too. So we're like, uh, you know, he's yeah, angry Guggenheim and someone's got to die. F- like, you know, expelled him. So maybe he's, like, got some resentment over that. But apparently not enough to kill the man. Max goes to find Miss Cross cleaning out her classroom. And she's like, look, I'm sorry, kid, but I love Bloom. Not you, a child, a student who is 15 years old. Uh, and when Max tries to kiss her, she shoves him away. And he's like, you know, Rushmore was my life, but now you are. And and he, he storms out of there uh, and passes against again by Magnus, who sort of, as always, is lurking around to needle Max. <laughs> and Dirk and his gang of wizard boys enter the scene as well, because we got to get all of the compounding factors here at once. This time, instead of just exchanging words, Max and the bully go to fight. Uh, but Max is almost immediately socked and knocked out, and even Dirk turns away from him, not offering his hand to help him up after Magnus knocks him to the ground, having been, again, betrayed by his partner. It was so sad, Max's hand out, and Dirk just walks away. Yeah. Like, well, Dirk, Dirk is notably still dressed as a wizard at this point. Uh, so <laughs> I also, feel like that's yeah, an important looks absolutely ridiculous. Yes. Yes. Like, in a full, like, Fantasia, pointed wizard hat, like, robes, every like, the full look. The full look. And it's a great shot of just, mm-hmm. like, looking up at all it's the It's from Max's perspective, Max. like, like the low angle looking straight up at them. It's it's great. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. It's hilarious. Well mm-hmm. done. Yeah. Uh, Max calls Mr. Bloom to meet him at, at his mother's grave. And he's like, I called this meeting because I was going to try and make that tree fall on you. But I decided, what's the point? Uh, Miss Cross loves you, not me. And Max, like, walks sadly away. And as he walks sadly away, Bloom says, like, she's my Rushmore. And Max says, yeah, she was mine too. And then Bloom leans on a tree and it falls over, but not on him. So Max did again almost kill a man one more time. He was fully ready to kill him. Fully ready to kill Mr. Bloom. Oh, my God. Max Max has almost committed murder twice. That one would have worked. Yes. that one would have fully worked, which is the craziest part of that. Like, aye, aye, like yeah, I like was going to, and then yeah, this tree, and he's like, oh shoot, like he really was gonna kill <laughs> yeah, me. Like, oh, you really were going to murder me? Okay, it was a huge tree too. It's not like some small no. little sapling. As, as Bill Murray helpfully points out, oh, that would have squished him, <laughs> and that's a line yes. of dialogue in the scene to establish stakes. I assume. 
You know, it's just we're handing out those handy screenwriting tips left and right. Establish stakes by having yeah. your character say that the tree could in fact squish them. So Max gets off hit the that bus. Nose on the- yeah, hit get those writers yeah. get those scripty hit notes the nail out there. on his head. <laughs> exactly. Um, so Max gets off the bus. He's no longer in his Rushmore uniform for the first time. He's stopped sort of attending school and instead is working in the barber shop alongside his father. Dirk uh, watches him from the window at this point, sort of like ominously. Dirk is making like angry faces, but Dirk is again like a 12 year old child. So it's, it's very hard for him to look genuinely scary. <laughs> Margaret, Margaret Yang, who you might remember from public school, visits Max's home to give him a plant. Uh, and his dad says it's that so he's not cute. in. It's very, she's very cute. And she's but she so leaves cute. the plant with him. And then she meets, makes eye contact with Max through the window, who is in fact home, and he shuts the curtains after she waves at him. I'm like, Max, it's you're being heartless. so rude. Yeah. It is so heartless. She brings him a little plant, which is a little very plant, sweet a little succulent. And cute. They're so hard to kill, yeah, even little... if you're depressed. They're a very great plant. <laughs> Yeah, great gift. She knew exactly what to get him. Yeah, it's a great gift for a depressed kid. It's a great gift. She knew exactly. She's like, oh, I can't get him like a difficult plant to take care of. I should get him like yeah. a succulent. Like she you thought it through. Like plant. Mm-hmm. very smart. She's super smart. She just wanted to drop off a nice she little gift to, to her friend Max. But Max yeah. brushes her off. The idiot. So, uh, you know, the next next day when Max and his dad in December are uh, closing up the barbershop, his dad asks if he thought about giving school another shot, but Max is like, no, I'm a barber's son. This is, this is all I'll ever be. Um, but after his dad leaves, Max is sweeping up when Dirk comes back in and sits down in the barber's chair, uh, taking the opportunity to apologize for throwing rocks at him. And Max is like, yeah, I'm sorry, too. Uh, and before Dirk leaves... He leaves a little gift for Max, and inside is a, a Swiss Army knife with his name on it and Rushmore Yankee inscribed on it, uh, reminding him of the, the the high status he used to hold and the, the person he used to be. Max gives Dirk a haircut, and uh, Dirk discover, d- delivers the news that, of course, Guggenheim has had a stroke and that Max ought to go visit him in the hospital. So Guggenheim... Uh, now, skirting death once again in this movie is, is, is laying in a hospital bed. <laughs> which is such uh, a hilarious scene in itself. So for funny. Max to go visit him in the hospital, which is like the last thing I'm sure Guggenheim ever oh, yeah. wants to see. And Guggenheim seems distressed. So Max does visit him. And as he's in the room, uh, Guggenheim speaks for the first time in like two weeks at Max's arrival. Uh, seemingly just annoyed that this child has shown up in his life again because clearly Max has been a thorn in his side for years and for some reason is now refusing to leave him alone even in his life-threatening peril and near comatose state. Yeah, potentially last breaths and all he sees is Max. It's literally the worst way you want to go. Oh, man. Um, And as Max is leaving, he runs into Mr. Bloom, who's also coming to visit Guggenheim in the elevator. Uh, and they, they chat a bit. Bloom reveals that he hasn't seen Miss Cross in six weeks because she's like in love with her dead husband anyway. Mr. Bloom takes the opportunity to smoke two cigarettes at once in this elevator, which is hilarious for several reasons. One, two cigarettes at once. Incredible. Two, they're in a hospital right now. <laughs> he's smoking in a hospital. Yes. I mean, it was the 90s, he's like but still. trying to kill himself. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, that's, like, the yeah, worst place you should be smoking. He's super like, disheveled. We get the sense that, like, Miss Cross dumping him and his divorce is not... It hasn't been a nice time for Mr. Bloom, you know? He's He's got a, he's, 
stubble coming in. His hair's all disheveled. He's like hiding drinks and the towels behind him. It's he's having a rough go of it. Bill Murray again playing pathetic really really well in this movie. <laughs> yeah, he's really going through it. I again I really think that Bill Murray must have gone through something to be able to deliver this mm-hmm. performance so well and act so well. Yeah. yeah, I've never seen someone play it so well in a movie. I'll be very mm-hmm. honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's definitely an exceptional performance. So Max, learning that Miss Cross is now uh, single once again, opens his garage and gets out his damaged bike in the dead of the night. As the rain pours down, he he climbs up to the window of Miss Cross's house and knocks on her window. He tells her that he got hit by a car and she's got this like head wound, and she lets him come in because she sees that he's injured. But Max just, like, lays on her bed and asks, like, point blank, asks her why she dumped Bloom. Uh, he, no, like, not, not only that, he puts in his own cassette tape. He brought his own cassette tape <laughs> and put it into the player, which is so great. She walks away to get him a band-aid, and she's, he's, like, quickly adds his own music into her cassette player. And she already had the candles lit, like, next to her yeah. bed. Great. Also, the bed's like a twin. So she's sleeping in the childhood bedroom of her dead husband, I think is why the bed is a twin. It's supposed to be like, she's still in love with this like kid that she uh, she was married to, um, but unfortunately passed away. We find out in this scene that he drowned a year ago, which is a very dramatic way to die. Yeah. Um, and she's like, you know, I, I dumped Bloom because he's married, he hates himself, and also he smashed up your bike, Max. You're a child, and he was jealous enough of you that he ran over your bike with his car. Which, again, Miss Miss Cross's reasonable reactions to most of what's happening around her at this point. Like, she's just a woman who was doing her job, and then a student just wouldn't stop hitting on her, and then the man she was dating got so <laughs> jealous of a child that he ran over a child's bike. She can she can spot unhinged people very yes. well. Yes, she's like I don't need. She's like I'm going to remove myself from the situation and stay in my lane. They chat about Edward Appleby, her her dead husband, and and Cross is you know clearly upset. Uh, and as she's cleaning up his head wound, he tries to kiss her again, but she pushes him away. And she's like, "This is fake blood that you have on your head." And she's like, "You gotta you gotta leave right now." Um, she's like, you and Mr. Bloom deserve each other because you're both little children. Uh, <laughs> Max Which is accurate. 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 They have both been acting like children throughout this movie. No matter how mature Max might try to be, and no matter how grumpy and disheveled Bill Murray might act. <laughs> yeah. Children. Children. Literal children. Literal children. Uh, Max and Dirk go fly a kite together, and Max finally apologizing in full to Dirk, and the two make good, their relationship having been mended, and as they're sort of hanging out, a remote control airplane lands next to them, flown by the very one Margaret Yang. Uh, Max introduces Dirk and Margaret, and that Max and Margaret sort of talk about how her science project that she won the science fair for was, she faked all the results for, uh, and that's, uh... Which is wild! Wild! Wild that she got away with that! Uh, <laughs> I guess you know, when you, she... I think when you're that smart though, like as a True. kid, and they're like, "Oh yeah, well she's a really smart kid." There's no way she faked these results. I think that that's yeah. how she got away with it. They're just like, "Of course she's right." I mean, why would she be wrong? Yeah, she said yeah. that you know these are the facts and these are the results, and we're gonna believe her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, she also tells him how it is because she's like, "You were a real jerk to me," and he's like, "Yeah, I was." 
and have her dramatic exit being made, Max returns to flying the kite, and uh, we get a little hint of him returning to his old self because he tells Dirk to take dictation as he starts listing out possible members for the new kite flying society he's going to found, and we get another montage as Max is getting his groove back for the second time in this movie. This is not the first time he got his groove back at public school. No, no, no. Now he's getting his groove back just like to get over being dumped a second time, even though he was never dating Miss Cross. <laughs> breakups Bloom, are hard, man, okay? Breakups, breakup, <laughs> look, breakups are difficult, but you do have to actually be in a relationship with someone to break up with them. And it's important to note that Miss Cross and Max were never dating. Uh, and in <laughs> fact, she rejected him several times prior to the yeah, final rejection. She never showed like actually no, in that way. Not at all. She was like, this is, a, you are a strange child, and I think that you're a smart child, and I would be happy to tutor you, but again, you are a student, so let's not make this weird. But, of course, he made it weird. Max asks Mr. Bloom to meet him at the barbershop, where uh, he <laughs> gives him one of the two awards he got from Rushmore for perfect attendance and punctuality, with Mr. Bloom taking the punctuality one, like little friendship so bracelets. Match. Yeah. Yes, he's like, and then we can wear them together match. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so cute. That was very cute. It's like this, like, matching, like, couples necklaces and stuff, except it's their pins. Oh, it's so cute. It's their pins, and they both have them on the, like, same like, lapel. side of their jacket. Yeah, yeah the lapel. It's very sweet. And then, it's very, very sweet. And then Herman gets a haircut. Disheveled yeah. Herman gets a haircut. Yeah, which Max is so takes him needed. inside and introduces him to his dad, who gives him a haircut. And it's like, aww. Also, his dad's name is Bert. We learned that in this scene. <laughs> Not really ever mentioned again. It's just sort of a good thing to note. And as, as they walk away from the barbershop with Bloom now all cleaned up, Max is like, how much are you worth exactly? Because we're going to need all of it for my new project. And the two uh, get going at uh, doing things like riding bikes and going to the factory and the kite flying society's taken off. And Max writes to Miss Cross, inviting her to the groundbreaking for their new and improved aquarium, this time with like full funding, revived and better than ever. Uh, Miss Cross does not show to the groundbreaking, making this the second time in this movie that Miss Cross has not shown up to an aquarium groundbreaking. And Mr. Bloom is real down about it. He was real hoping to see his ex-girlfriend. Well, he spent $8 million on it, so wouldn't you be upset too? He did spend $8 million on it, but as she points out, um, when Max goes to find her, Miss Cross is like, you know, I never asked anyone to build an aquarium for me. (laughs) And I'm like, again, making very, very (laughs) valid points coming out of Miss Cross's corner here million dollar gift though so i do feel like she yeah could have shown up mm. it's eight a million situation bucks. it's an eight million dollar aquarium but it's also being built by her messy ex so messy ex and the child who was in love with her which was a messy situation <laughs> onto its own so i kind of i'm like i kind of get why you wouldn't want to show up to that dumpster fire well when you put it that way i guess <laughs> i mean i'm just saying <laughs> I'm just saying, like, look, teachers don't get paid that much. If mm. they're already spending $8 million on an aquarium, just think about what money could be in store for you, that's Rosemary, true, true. if, you, sales, if you buy into this. It's expensive to get into, and then you got, like, concession sales and stuff. I mean, special exhibits. You can make some bank. There's some potential yeah. there. Buy more. Uh, I'm just saying it's a good supplies. investment for her. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, Speaking of good investments, Max goes and buys a crate of dynamite out of a garage, uh, and Dirk also has a gun in this scene, and then Max takes the gun and heads to Rushmore, which was very ominous. 
job it is. And unfortunately, we live in 2021 that I saw this scene and was very alarmed by the fact yes, that... Yes, immediately. Dirk and Max were in possession of this gun. And, and also, Max I feel like we should not gloss over this. They're in possession of a crate full of dynamite. Yes. Both things are very alarming. Who sold him dynamite? He's 15. Men no kids garage. should be getting dynamite. There was a yeah, garage like, they walked up to, and Max casually was like, here's how many sticks of dynamite I need, and then they handed him a crate. Yeah, I don't care how much Osha money you have and you can afford it. Yes. <laughs> this is very alarming to watch. And I was like, wow, I can't believe they would ever give a kid a crate of dynamite. How dare Not they? concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Like, fireworks is always bad. Like, you know, I like no kids illegally get fireworks mm. or something, and I'm like, crate of dynamite, that's just, like, such a red flag. Like, bottle rockets and sparklers are one thing, but actual sticks of dynamite are a whole other substance altogether. Um, but Max, engaged in these various illicit activities, does take the gun, which we find out must be, like, an airsoft or a BB gun or something, because he <laughs> takes aim at Magnus the bully and shoots him in the ear, but the, he's fine. He's fine. I feel like we should broach that. He's he's a, yes, he's but irritated, he, but he's okay. He doesn't from... The bully tree, though. He, he doesn't run the rooftop. Standing. He's in, like, a... Right. He's in, like, a, a classroom up in the, at the top. But he does it from the high ground now. Having, right. Um, yeah. Reverse... The tables have turned, so to speak. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> he, like, makes fun of Magnus's ear. And he's like, ah, oh, don't worry. Hit the other one. You know, the other <laughs> one's already messed up. So don't worry. Like, hit your bad. Yep. It's, like, your only good ear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, apropos of nothing, Max asks Magnus to be in one of his plays and throws a script down to him on the ground. Uh, and Magnus looks at it for a minute before picking it up and being like, I always wanted to be in one of your stupid plays. So he was just, he was just bullying him because he wanted to be friends with Max. He wanted to be on his good side. He wanted to harbor his dreams of being an actor. And that's when you find out, yeah, all Magnus wanted was to just be Max's friend. He wanted maybe. to be in the theater. Or the, <laughs> yeah, and Max is the director that never casted him until mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. It's it's the high school musical problem all over again. You know, it's <laughs> he stuck to the status quo yeah. when he should have he should have he should have been breaking free <laughs> instead. <laughs> <laughs> Troy and Gabriella taught us that through song, all things are possible, and. Magnus could have taken that lesson and run with it. <laughs> he could have. If only High School Musical came out first. Yeah, if only it had come out uh, prior to 1998 when this film was shot. So, yeah. <laughs> Back at Grover Hindsight, Cleveland, it's, uh, <laughs> it's opening night for the final of Max's uh, various productions. And the gang is all here. We get another one of those Wes Anderson tracking shots going in a straight line. So we get the full... Full cast lineup, you know, at Cross and Bloom, who are sat next to each other through Max's scheming. His dad, Guggenheim, is there for some reason. Just a whole, a whole, the Margaret's parents, the whole, the whole cast and crew have assembled here in the audience tonight. Max uh, takes to the stage to address his audience, dedicating the play to the memory of his mother and also to Edward Appleby in a very heartfelt gesture. And the play begins. Again, incredible stagecraft for a high school production. I feel like we got to talk about it again. The production value. <laughs> the production it's values like, on this stage are incredible. The helicopter in the background. Like, I'm not yeah. sure how that was being controlled There's at all. There's smoke effects. The The play yeah. is a real uh, full metal jacket apocalypse now type vision of the Vietnam War. Uh, 
<laughs> there Which is, is also a very jungle. interesting dedication, too. The yes. He dedicates it to his mother and Edward Appleby, and it's like a Vietnam War play. It's like a Vietnam, like a horror of war play. We don't see enough of it to, I think, truly grasp exactly the message he's trying to send, but it's definitely like, I would not be surprised if Flight of the Valkyries started playing and just a full suite of helicopters flew in, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, but the production value. Incredible. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. I would have loved to have had a ticket to this play. Oh that my gosh, great. so good! Yeah. And you, you know, don't even we get see, that on Broadway. You don't. It's an inter- It's basically a 4D experience too, because the audience has got earplugs and safety goggles that, in case, uh, in case it's too intense for them to put on, and se- we see several members of the audience do so in some cutaway shots. Yes, everyone's wearing the safety goggles, which is very needed, I think, after watching mm-hmm. the play. Like, oh yeah, you. Those were very important. It was not a joke. Oh, yes. But, uh, you know, we see various members of the audience being emotionally moved by it. And this emotional movement leads to an intermission. Mr. Cross and Miss, or Miss Cross and Mr. Bloom sharing a drink, uh, coffee and talking about the play and a little heartfelt moment as they say, oh, I hope it has a happy ending and sort of rekindle their their uh, their previous engagement. You know, Max isn't just directing plays in this movie. He's really directing the lives of everyone around him in this final, like, final play. You really see that happen when he's brought all of his cast of characters together and he's sort of like ironing out all the wrinkles of their lives. And as the actual play that he's putting on comes to a close, they get a a standing ovation. People have tears in their eyes. They're so moved by this vision of the Vietnam War that these high schoolers have put on. (laughs) (laughs) These kids also must have an amazing acting performance. So good. So many of them. They take it so seriously. Yeah, well, on the the makeup, the stage makeup, oh bleeding, and oh my goodness, I, yeah, everyone's that's, emotional. That's the magic of the theater, baby, <laughs> it's that showbiz. <laughs> Max must be a great director too. Like clearly, oh yeah, he's for everything he's doing and like how much chaos he is as a person. Clearly, he is a good director and does know yeah, stage value, stage production value. Puts together a good show. It's not yeah. like a five-minute craft situation whatsoever oh exactly i mean you we've we've worked on a project that you've directed before so i you're sort of the expert on this as far as people on this podcast are concerned and you know directorial skills i mean i just you know we had some great special effects you know you were in charge of a lot of them (laughs) sophia um but i i don't know i after rewatching rushmore i feel like we could have done more we could have done um, like gunshots yeah, you know, and you know I think we like really, I don't know we kind of upped our production value a little bit more I just yeah didn't know areas, we were missing out so much <laughs> in all areas except hamster construction I think we really we really could have you know maybe bigger bigger smoke effects budget perhaps we'll we'll talk on our next production about, <laughs> it's okay. about yeah we'll make sure to address that <laughs> yeah up the practical effects I want to mm-hmm. see yeah we're only doing practical effects only nothing practical. in post Mm-hmm. Um, we'll hire mm-hmm. Max Fisher as our like <laughs> consultant on like what we need to exactly. get for exactly. our practical effects because he did it. Chef's kiss. Beautiful. Well. Um, at the after party, Max is talking to the Yangs and then uh, Cross and Bloom, and they're sort of we get a little cutaway shot to some of the guests talking about safety hazards, but they're like, "Nah, this play was super good. I'm super into it." So they sort of brush off the fact that they, I assume, used the dynamite in the stage production because we don't see it used for anything else. But they did make a point yes. of Max buying it. Oh yeah, I assumed it was for the play. Yeah, um, which is, again is still like concerning because that means kids were next to dynamite. 
Yeah, I mean, I so I worked on a stage production once, and we didn't use dynamite, but we had some questionable safety in our VFX, so um, we needed an explosion to come from a quote-unquote basement that was like a small closet we built on set, and to get the smoke effect, we would, myself and another crew member, stood in the inside the box on stage with the tray of dry ice and water, and then we would like activate it right before this explosion was supposed to happen so that the smoke would build up in the room, and then we'd bust throw the door open so it would spill out. And that wasn't the safest, but I feel like relative to dynamite in the grand scheme of high school theater productions, that's leaning towards the safer side. Yeah, but I don't think you're supposed to be like breathing in the dry ice. Yeah, I turned out fine, so it's probably okay. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I think there's like a lot of like, yeah, I I think that itself is a danger. And you, like, potentially accidentally handling dry ice is also very Yeah, well, the, definitely the biggest struggle was that it was myself, another crew member, and then a, a guy in a toga costume in the closet. So he was at serious risk of dry ice exposure because, you know, if I had, like, long sleeves and toga. gloves on, but he had a toga. So shout out to guy who <laughs> guy who had to wear toga in dry ice closet. This episode's for oh, you, man. man. <laughs> But, you know, we sort of, this this last, like, dance scene is everyone is sort of wrapping up. Max and Margaret dance, and they have a little connection showing that Max is finally going for an age-appropriate woman, which is, thank God. Max Max's dad and Guggenheim's wife dance for some reason. That one threw me. They hadn't interacted up till now, but they seem to be really hitting it off, even though Guggenheim is alive and in the room. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe Bert knew about Guggenheim's hospital visit and was like you know what Jugenheim's on his way out <laughs> they're all they're gotta, all old gotta people fight in there. <laughs> they're all on their way out Max's dad is very old <laughs> I, I just, it feels like a gamble man it feels like you're playing you're playing the odds you know what he's uh, Max's dad just really deserves love too so that's I, true. I, I he's kind very of sweet. I support he's it very at sweet the same time figure. Max and Mr. Bloom make up. Bloom sort of goes off to dance with Margaret a little bit, and Max and Cross dance. Which is weird. How, which is weird. It's weird. Yes, I they also do like a, jump- they switch partners between Mr. Bloom and Miss Cross and Max and Margaret, but it but the when they switch, both yeah, partners Mr. Bloom become cuts weird. In. Yeah. Yes, it's both partners become weird. Become also, strange. I feel like Bloom doesn't know Margaret that well. So not at all. As a girl, I've not seen them interact. Quite yet. uncomfortable. Yeah, I don't think they had met. They, so I think they got very uncomfortable to be like a few minutes ago in the screen play. time when they met the parents as well after the play. But that's that's presumably when they met for the first time. So it's very strange that this is happening. Right. So I would say, if I was Margaret, be like I don't necessarily want to dance with your old, maybe creepy friend. Sorry, Max. Yeah. Sorry. But, you know, she rolls with it. Uh, Max and Miss uh, Cross dance a little bit and talk about how, you know, everything sort of worked out in the end and no one got hurt except for Max. And Max is like, oh, I didn't get hurt too bad. And But before they, they really get into the swing of things, he's like, we got to get the DJ to play something a bit peppier. And they, they DJ switches to a more picked up song and the gang have all gotten onto the dance floor and it's the happy ending that we've been waiting for. The curtains literally close because they use a curtain closing transition to end the movie and then we go into the credits, baby, and that's Rushmore. What a what a ride we've been on. <laughs> Woo! I feel like we should note that the, one of the first credits that pops up is the writer's credit and I did not realize that Owen Wilson co-wrote this with Wes Anderson. <laughs> Yes, I fully didn't realize that until the credits. 
Um, yeah, but they had gone to college a, what together. What a twist. And they made films together Did anyway. They really? So, oh. yes. Yeah, they like. Fun fact. Have you ever seen like some of their old stuff? They went to. I think they went to UT Austin together, right? Uh, you know where yeah, they go? I USC. So. I forget where yeah. they went. But anyways, yes, they were they were friends in college, and like they made their movies together in college. So they have been partners for a while. Huh. Owen Wilson and his huh. brother too. What's the brother's name? Luke, oh, Luke Wilson. Uh, other Wilson. Luke yeah, sounds yeah. right. Wilson brothers. Yeah, but that's like a usual pairing. But yes, yeah, very cool that. Yeah. Owen Wilson co-wrote it. Incredible. Colonel Rushmore. Yeah. Huh. Have you seen you this know. movie recently? I hadn't seen it recently. I watched this it movie I think, before back yeah. when I was in high school, but but uh, I rewatched it for the podcast yesterday. I, I I liked it a lot. You know, it's I don't know if it's necessarily my favorite Wes Anderson movie, but it, it's it's very it's very charming despite having a bit of a kooky plot. And uh, you know, if if you like the that sort of a uh, very purposeful artistic style that Wes Anderson has. It's it's a fun movie to watch. You know, Julia. Like, what are some of you, we we've talked about this? Obviously, this was your pick. What are some of your closing thoughts here? You know, when when would you maybe recommend people watch this movie? Would you recommend people watch this movie? How how would you sum up Rushmore for our for our listeners out there? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. I think it's a great coming of age film to some degree. I think it's it definitely is a really fun chaotic movie. You can appreciate it as a high schooler, but also definitely as an adult. I feel like there's a lot in there that audiences can relate to. I feel like Max is a troubled kid. He's like finding his way and trying to understand his place in the world. And like, he, you know, he doesn't mm-hmm. fit in a lot of places and at Rushmore necessarily, even though he's literally involved in every single club, probably at <laughs> school, he doesn't have a group of friends that it's really cool to watch a kid pave his own way and find his own happiness. Um, even if it's at times slightly inappropriate, maybe, <laughs> but yeah, I just, I really like the chaos of this movie. I really like Max as a character and his personal growth that he goes through. And I love Bill Murray in this movie a lot. Yeah. Yeah. This movie I, is worth watching if only for Bill Murray. I mean, it's worth watching for a number of reasons, but the Bill Murray performance in this movie is really good. <laughs> One of my favorites of his, like, definitely in the top five for me. Yeah. And I mean, Bill yeah. Murray's, I think, like, in almost all of the Wes Anderson films, but he does oh, this yeah. movie in particularly very well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. My Excellent. review, I, I'm glad you got to watch the, rewatch this with me talk about it yeah thank you so much it's been a it's been a delight this has been a fun episode for me i've had a run of uh pretty good movies actually coming coming off the tail of a series of particularly bad movies so this is this has been a nice change of pace and uh you know people if people want more from from the julia hess where where can they find you you know we'll link all your your socials in the show notes but give us give us give us the plug julia yeah i would say if you guys are ever looking for a good food rack please follow my foodstagram food instagram if you will <laughs> and it's at juju under juju is j-u-j-u underscore eats food um i've got food wrecks for philadelphia new york city boston and now los angeles where i live Ooh. currently so i'm always there for a good wreck and that's the main social plug you can check out <laughs> 
that's worth checking out, I guess. <laughs> Definitely worth checking out. Having eaten food with Julia many times, I can confirm that she has excellent taste. So if you want to check out more from her, Definitely hit up that link in the show notes below. And uh, Julia, thanks again for coming on the show. We'll catch you guys next episode with another movie. Not Rushmore. I'm assuming. I haven't actually figured out what the next episode is going to be yet. But it'll be in the bumper. So we'll find out. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Movie Struck. We'll be back on September 13th to talk Get Smart, but if you have any questions, comments, or concerns before then, feel free to write into the show at moviestruckpod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And for more from our guest, Julia, be sure to check out her socials linked in the show notes below.